If you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of Joshua. This evening we'll be looking at Joshua chapter 8, the story of the fall of the town of Ai. You may recall that last week we looked at the defeat of the Israelites at Ai because of the sin of Achan at Jericho. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. Joshua chapter 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, all his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai as its king and its king, as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. <clears throat> so Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them. And they will come out after us. Until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, they are fleeing from us just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set it on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out. And they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night among the people. Joshua arose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces, the main encampment that was north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent that night in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place toward the Arabah to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And as they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. 
Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven. And they had no power to flee this way or that, for the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against their pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them, so that they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was left none that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burnt Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And at sunset Joshua commanded and they excuse me and he hanged the king of Israel on a tree until evening. And at sunset Joshua commanded and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones which stands there to this day. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones, upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, He wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at first to bless the people of Israel. And afterwards he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, and the women, and the little ones, and the sojourners who lived among them. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your servant Joshua and for the way that you led him and instructed him. 
We pray, O Lord, that it would be instructive to our own hearts, that we would follow after you, that we would not be afraid, but that we would trust you, O Lord. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, we pick up our story with Joshua and the Israelites after the defeat at Ai. You remember that last week we looked and Israel had gone up against Ai. Ai did not seem to be a very difficult task, a very difficult place to fight against. As a matter of fact, the Israelites said to Joshua, don't bother to send the whole army up. There's no reason to get everyone tired out. All we need is a portion to send against this town. And so they did that. And then to their great surprise, they were defeated. And it turned out that their defeat was not due to military tactics. It was not due to a lack of prayer or numbers. It was instead due to sin. The sin that was found in the camp of Israel. The sin of a man named Achan who had directly disobeyed the command of God and who coveted things at Jericho. And the Lord God got the attention of the Israelites on that day. And now here we come to chapter 8 and the Lord is coming to Joshua. And the first thing that I think we need to think about is that the past should be remembered. You see, the Lord is the one who is in control. And the only way that we can know that the Lord is in control is if we begin by remembering the past. It is quite easy, isn't it, to forget what God has done for us. Now think about the past of Israel. They had been freed from Egypt and slavery. They had been saved by God from the power of Pharaoh in the parting of the Red Sea. And the Lord had defeated the greatest empire of the age. And then the Israelites began wandering throughout the deserts of the wilderness. And they wandered because they had disobeyed the Lord. So even in their wandering, it was obvious that the Lord was in control. And then as they came to the promised land under Joshua... They had a great victory over Jericho against all odds. And again, it was obvious that the Lord was in control. And then just recently, as they come against Ai, it becomes very clear that it is not the might of Israel. It is not their fervor or their tactics. But it is the power of God that will be at work in their lives. For they fail at Ai because... Of their sin against the Lord. Now, what do all of these things in the history of Israel have in common? I think each of them show us the power and the authority of God. All of history is a stage for the providence of God. Now, imagine for a moment that you are an Israelite. Imagine that news has just come in of the unexpected and horrible defeat at Ai. Now, what would you think now? Would you be afraid? Would you be ready to go forward? You see, it might be easy for us sitting in comfortable chairs to say, we have to trust God. We have to go forward. But this is easier said than done 
in the difficulties of providence. Think about now for a moment your life today. How often are you dismayed by the news? How often do you let circumstances affect you and your outlook on the world? How often does the evening news affect the way you view the world instead of the scriptures? It seems that all too often we look out at the world, we look out at the church, and we are discouraged and defeatist because the circumstances around us do not seem favorable. What we have to remember is that God today is the same God that he was then. He preserved Israel. He's the same God who turned the world upside down through the preaching and teaching of the apostles. He's the same God who preserved the church through the Reformation. This is God. His plan does not depend on us. Now, once we have thought about and remembered the past and what God has done, I think we are ready to trust the Lord for the present. Now, this brings us back to the events of chapter 8. Now, do you notice what happens in verse 1 after this defeat? God is the one who approaches Joshua. The Lord comes up to Joshua and tells him not to be afraid and not to be dismayed because he is with him. You see, God knows we are afraid. I think far too often as followers of Jesus Christ, we think we need to put on a brave face in front of God to show him how much we trust him and to pretend that we're not afraid when we really are. And Joshua had reason to be afraid. He wasn't sure if God had abandoned them. He wasn't sure if God had left them to their own devices. And if God leaves us to our own devices, we should be very afraid. But this is when the Lord reaches out to Joshua. He knows we need his help. And so he comes first to Joshua, and he comes with an assurance of his sovereignty and control. He doesn't just tell Joshua not to be afraid. He tells him to take all the fighting men with you because I have given into your hand the king of Ai and all his people and his city and his land. We've seen this before, haven't we? Where God declares something that will happen in the future as if it has already been done. He's writing future history for us. What better way not to be afraid? If we already know what the outcome will be, there's nothing to fear. This is what the Lord does with Joshua. He assures Joshua that it is not a matter of tactics. It's not chance. It is the plan of God that is going forward. And everything that has gone before has done so at the instruction of the Lord. Now notice how God is the one who is in control. He is the one, in verse 2, who calls for the ambush. 
If you look down in verse 18, he is the one that specifies the exact moment of the attack. Everything about this battle at Ai is in God's control. And this should remind us that God's help is not just good. It's also necessary. With God, Jericho falls. Without God, even small AI is too difficult a task. And so, I want to ask you a question this evening. Are you, attempt, are you tempted to divide up your life? To divide everything up in your life into two broad categories. First, there are the things that aren't so hard. And so you can handle them on your own. And then there are the things that are more difficult. They're a big deal. And those are the things that you have to pray for. Those are the things you have to seek the Lord's help with. Well, what our text teaches us this evening is that God is always in control. And because He is always in control, we must acknowledge that and we must seek after Him. The second thing that we see in this chapter is that the Lord is good. We see first and foremost that the Lord is generous with His people. We see the generosity of God come forth. Now remember how we got here. Israel was not to take anything from Jericho. But Achan had disobeyed, coveting the things in Jericho. And so he had taken things for himself. Now, we might think now is the time for God to double down on his instruction. After all, that's how we would parent, isn't it? I told you so. I told you not to take anything. We might expect a doubling down on the restrictions. Now, not only can you not take anything at AI, you can't even look at anything. That's what we might expect. But instead, God is immediately generous with Israel. Look at verse 2. Only its spoil and livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. So now, Ai is going to be just like Jericho, except better. Because Israel gets all the plunder. We weren't expecting this. And this also shows us how needless Achan's coveting was of the things in Jericho. He was acting as if he would never get anything, that he would be lost unless he stole, that God would not take care of him. And here right now we see the Lord God showing his goodness to his people, how he takes care of them. You see, God never intended to keep Israel down. He was focused on what Israel's need was, the need of Israel to recognize the Lord as their king. And once God is recognized as being sovereign and in control, then he gives to his people. God is generous with his people. We have to remember this because the enemy is always at our door, whispering in our ears that this is not true. It started in the Garden of Eden, Eden, didn't it? Where the serpent comes to Eve and Adam. And in the midst of all of the plenty that God has given. Now remember the command. You can eat of 
any of the trees that are in the garden except this one. You can eat of the thousands upon thousands of trees except this one. And what did Satan get Adam and Eve to focus on? Not all that they had been given, not the plenteous bounty that God had laid before them, but on the one restriction. And he did it in such a way as to make it seem as if God was stingy, hard-hearted, and lacked generosity. And in the wilderness, it was the same for Israel, wasn't it? They were always focused on what they didn't have that moment. God feeds them miraculously, day upon day upon day, and they come to themselves and say, you know, we'd really rather have something different to eat. Yeah, it's okay, it's nice that you give us all this food and we don't have to do anything for it and you provide for us in this wilderness, but really, we'd like to change the menu. Why can't you do that for us, God? And so the focus is always on what we think we need and don't have. And this was exactly the story of Ai and the defeat. So I ask you this evening, Where is your focus in your life? It is all too easy to think about all of the things we don't have, that we think we can't live without. To be harsh with God for not giving us what we want. But do we stop and for a moment give thanksgiving for all that the Lord has provided to us? We talk about our nation and we talk about the regulations that are placed upon the church. We talk about all the difficulties in the media and the way that people say bad things about Christians. But are we thankful that we come to worship here this evening with no fear of armed men coming in to kill us? Or to kidnap our children? Or to torture us? We are blessed beyond measure with a freedom of worship. Where is our focus? Is it in criticizing God or in being thankful? The second thing that we see about God's goodness is a little bit more difficult to understand. We have to see that God's goodness includes His justice. And we see this in the outcome of the battle of Ai. The result of this battle is the defeat of Ai and all its inhabitants. Now, the inhabitants of Ai gave no thought at all to God. They thought that they were the source of their own safety and victory. They didn't give any thought to God before, so why should they give any thought to Him now? And that's exactly why they fell into this trap. You see, they assumed... That they were unbeatable. They assumed that they were in charge. And just as they had defeated Israel before, they would do it again. They didn't realize that God was in control of that first victory they had won. And because of that, they became overconfident and they fell into a trap. And so this brilliant military maneuver takes place. But it only takes place because the people of Ai trusted in their own strength. They abandoned all common sense. Common sense would say, you don't leave a city completely unprotected. No matter how well you think the battle is going. But you see, 
the inhabitants of Ai were so confident in their own ability that they never even thought anything could go badly against them. And so they're caught and they're destroyed. Each and every one of them, Joshua tells us in verse 24. Only the king is taken alive. And that, not for too long. The king begins then to see the judgment of God. He is killed and then hung. Now we have to understand here that he is not killed by being hung. We'll see later in Joshua 10, verse 26, that the kings of various cities are struck down and put to death and then they are hanged on the trees. The hanging was not the source of death. It was a sign of a curse of the judgment of God. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we're taken aback by this. It seems barbaric, doesn't it? That the whole city would be destroyed, that the king would be killed, that he would be hung. But the truth is that the people of Ai and their king were already under the judgment and curse of God. Before this battle ever happened, they were deserving of death for their crimes and their wickedness and their rejection of God. We see this because in Deuteronomy chapter 9, Moses, even before the Israelites get into the promised land, reminds them that it is because of the wickedness of the nations in the promised land that Israel will be victorious. It is not Israel's skill or merit He says this, Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess the land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord is driving them out from before you. That he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. You see, the body of the king of Ai was hung. It was not cursed because it was hung. It was hung... Because it was cursed. You see, we have to understand that the goodness of God includes His justice. That He is a God of justice. That His patience has limits. And that He will bring all things to right. He will punish all wickedness. He will stand for all righteousness. And we should not take this lightly at all. Because you see... After all, it was the curse that was put on Jesus Christ that saved us. It was God's just judgment meted out on our Lord Jesus Christ that provides forgiveness and redemption for us. The third and final thing that we see from our text is that the Lord's word never fails. It is God's word that is important here in this story. And so we see this at verse 30. Do you notice how the scene shifts in chapter 8, verse 30? It's like 
a break in the middle of a war movie. We find ourselves whisked up 20 miles north of Ai in the battlefield. And Israel is found at the feet of two mountains, Ebal and Gerizim. Now Israel had just seen the curse of God's anger. They had just seen the help that he provides to his people. And so now we are taken to the root of all of this, God's word. God tells Israel all of the things of his word. They are repeated by Joshua, his servant. And what we have to understand is that the sum of this campaign in the promised land is not about defeating Canaanites. It is not about beating the enemies of Israel. It's about submission to God's word. Look at verses 33 to 35 and see how often the word all is used. All Israel. All of the word was read. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read. And all the assembly... Israel. Over and over again, God repeats for us the totality of his word. There is not one word that will fall in vain. That is because the word of God is not just a record, an archive of what God has done. The word of God is a source of life for you and for me each and every day. The Lord brings his word to us. And this is what the story of Joshua and Israel is all about. But God chose this place to have his word told for a reason. Because his covenant supports his word. Where this event takes place is in Shechem. Now if the name of the city Shechem sounds familiar to you, it should. It was the place where Abraham first received the promise of the land. It was the place where Jacob returned after his exile. And this was the place where Moses told the Israelites to recount the blessings and the cursings of the covenant of God. We see this in Deuteronomy 27 28. And so now... The Israelites build an altar. And there's something very significant about where they build it. There are two mountains. Mount Ebal, where the curses are pronounced. Mount Gerizim, where the blessings are pronounced. Where do they put the altar? I think if you and I were deciding where to put them, we would put the altar on Mount Gerizim, where the blessings of God are, where we feel good, where we are happy, where we understand good things would come. But that's not where the altar's built. The altar is built on Mount Ebal, where the curses were pronounced. It is a reminder to us that God has a solution for the curse of sin. Because it is on that altar that the sacrifices will be made. It is a reminder to us that in spite of all of our sin, in spite of all of our disobedience, God has made provision for his people. But do you notice something else about this altar? It's completely non-man-made. There's no tool or instrument or implement that is used to construct this altar. 
There is no power or wisdom of man that is put into the making of this altar. It is another reminder to us that there is nothing that we can do to bring about the reconciliation with God for our sins. It is a sacrifice of God's bringing and making. You see, God reminds us that not only is He in control, but that He provides for the curse of His people. We must recognize our need and we must accept what He gives to us. We must not try to come to God on our own merit. This is what God has called us to. He calls His people to see that He is sovereign. And that in his sovereign control is found life. Life in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this evening that you would make your word not just clear to us, but dear to us and near to us. That we would be reminded that you are in control, O Lord. Lord, we ask for your blessing to us, that each and every day we would be thankful for all that you give to us. This we ask in the great name of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.